Hey, good to see all of you. Welcome to Awakening. Uh, yeah, yes, three of you are excited to be here. The rest of you are like, what? thought I was going to Chick-fil-A. Um, welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Jay. Uh, I am a part of the leadership team here. Um, let me, if you have not been here with us this summer, let me just get you caught up on where we are at as a community. The entire summer, this entire summer, we have been together collectively as a church journeying through a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in an ancient city called Colossae, a letter to the Colossian church. And the entire summer, we've taken like a month each to trek through each of the first three chapters of this letter that Paul wrote. And they were all kind of thematic. And as we close the summer, uh, Tony's going to come up in a little bit later tonight and talk about what we have coming up this fall. I don't know if you guys know this, but in a month, Awakening Church celebrates our one-year anniversary. Right? And all that means, all that means is that God is faithful to use those who he probably should not use. (laughs) Because to think that we've made it this far, that we've made it an entire year is, in my mind, unreal. And it is a testament to the grace of God. And it is evidence of God moving in ways that we could never have imagined. And we'll talk more about that uh, in the coming months, in, in the coming month, and, and, and uh, as we trek into the fall. Uh, but tonight we're starting as we conclude our summer, and we've been in this letter from Paul to the Colossian church. We're concluding by launching just a four-week series called "Listen Well and Speak Slowly." And let me start by inviting you to something. I'm going to invite you tonight to a little bit of awkwardness and discomfort. So let me say this first. If you're just visiting us, if you're like the whole like God thing and Christianity and Jesus and the Bible and a church, it, none of that makes sense to you. You're not even into that stuff. You just came because a friend of yours invited you. You just need to hear. I'm stoked you're here. Thank you for spending your Sunday night here. And there is no pressure to do anything tonight. Man, you can just sit and listen. If you, at some point, if the room feels a little tense and gets a little awkward, man, you could get up and just get some fresh air outside if that feels right to you. Do whatever you need to do. There is no pressure for any of us. No one in this room has to do a thing tonight. But there is an invitation. Tonight, we're going to pray. And and, uh, we're going to pray in all sorts of ways in the coming weeks, but tonight we're going to pray in quiet. And that is so different and so new and frightening even for some of us. In the conclusion to his letter uh, to the Colossian church, Paul writes this in chapter 4, verses 2 to 4. Paul says, Devote yourselves... To prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. 
I was going to read the rest of that passage. I'm just not going to read it. Let's just hang there. Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. The, the, the honest response for me is that I pray, but there is not much devotion to prayer in my personal life. I pray fairly regularly, habitually even, in the morning and at night, before meals on occasion, but is there true heartfelt devotion to prayer? Let me tell you what devotion is like. Devotion is like a wedding that I officiated yesterday afternoon in Santa Margarita. Santa Margarita is a little town just north of San Luis Obispo. And I was at Santa Margarita Ranch, which is this beautiful, beautiful place. And I was marrying off two friends of mine. And this is devotion. I was standing there next to my friend Brock, the groom, and the, the music turns, right? The music changes to Canon in D. That was uh, the bride's um, song. And the music changes, and his demeanor changed. He tightened up. And I could see already, like, tears welling up underneath, right? His eyelids, his lower, are those eyelids? Those aren't even lids, right? Your eye things, your eye sacks, or whatever those are, right? Tears, we're spending way too much time on this. Um, so he starts tearing up, music changes, and his, his bride, his wife-to-be, Brandy, begins walking, and she is stunning in her wedding dress, and if you are ever at a wedding that I officiate, if you want a good laugh, you probably won't do this because you don't want to miss the bride, but if you want a good chuckle, when the bride is marching down the aisle, just take a moment and look at me because I will be the only person in the room who is not looking at the bride. I will be that weirdo up front staring at the groom. <laughs> Because I love the look on a groom's face when he first lays eyes on his bride. You ever seen that look? Now think about this for a second. These two have seen each other countless times. They've seen each other, other than work, almost every waking moment of every day for months, years even before this moment. It's not like they don't know what the other person looks like, right? I mean, these are the two people who are possibly, quite possibly, closer to each other than anybody else on the planet. And yet, on a wedding day, when the bride begins her march to the front, what is the look on the groom's face? Inevitably, almost always, it is the look of surprise and awe and wonder, as though he is gazing at her for the very first time, as if his bride is the biggest surprise he has ever known. This is devotion. It is to set aside everything that is around us, the beautiful scenery, the hundreds of people, your closest friends and family, your best friends, your groomsmen, because in that moment, he's not thinking about a single one of them. He's just thinking about his bride. 
And Paul writes, be devoted in prayer. This is devotion. Yesterday, during the wedding, they wanted to uh, say personal vows to each other, these two, which is awesome. That's a pretty common thing. And what happens in most weddings when the bride and groom are going to say vows to one another? They don't just grab a mic and say, well, okay, here it goes. I'm not really prepared, but man, you know, I just really like you a lot. I love you, I guess. It was crazy. <laughs> it was like, you look so good. I don't even know. Uh, it's like, I don't know. Are you excited? It was... <laughs> no, that's not what happens. They, they pull out this crumpled up little piece of paper, don't they? And they grab the mic. They clear their throat. <clears throat> Brandy. Right? They're all nervous. <laughs> I promise. Right? Like, try to hold it together, and the bride loses it, and then it's her turn. She's like, I mean, they held it together, so I'm like, this is not what happened, but I'm just using them as an example. Brock. <laughs> right? And then all the, what happens to the bridesmaids? The bridesmaids are like, <laughs> Right? And mom and dad, mom's like, ah, and dad's like, <laughs> right? Why is it that a bride and groom will read off a piece of paper the words, they, the vows they want to make to one another? Have they not had countless conversations? Do they not know how to communicate? They talk constantly, all the time, to each other. A bride and a groom do not read pre-written vows to one another during their wedding because they have nothing to say. They read their vows because they want every word to matter. Be devoted in prayer. The reality is I talk way too much and way too fast and way too carelessly when I pray. When I pray, it's just, oh, Jesus, Lord. And you know, like, do you ever feel the need to use every name of God you know when you pray? Just Father God, Lord of hosts, shepherd of shepherds, king of kings, the gentle whisper, the great fire, the holy of holiest of holy, angel better than angels, God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, <laughs> Joseph, Sarah, Mary, Jack, Bobby, right? you just like... You're like filling dead space, dead air. We just have this need, this incessant need as though God is impressed with our minuscule knowledge of him. God is not impressed with what we know. God simply wants to know us. And sometimes knowing requires more than just knowledge. It requires devotion which involves not just the head, it involves your heart. You know what's interesting about weddings? For a bride and groom, there's actually a lot of quiet and stillness. There's a lot of listening. Listening to one another, listening to whoever is officiating, listening to the sound of the day. Devotion requires waiting and listening, and undivided attention. 
The theologian Stanley Hauerwas once wrote that if prayer has taught me anything, it has taught me to wait. I remember my mother praying for me as a child. She prayed for me like every morning and every night, and it used to bug the crap out of me. She, uh, my mom was a single mom, single parent, so she worked multiple jobs. She'd get up way earlier than me and come home super late. But every morning when she got up at like 4.30 or 5, she would come to my room, kneel by my bed. I'm fast asleep. She would place her hand on my forehead as though it's not good. She'd try to do it gently, right? It was like, obviously it's going to wake me up. She would put her hand on my forehead and pray for me. And she'd pray in Korean, so I didn't even understand what she was, she may have been praying like, Lord, why him, right? Or, well, I mean, I don't know. Who knows, right? Uh, but she prayed for me, and, uh, and then at night she would come home, and so usually I'd be sleeping. Sometimes I'd just be pretending to sleep. And again, she would come into my room, kneel by my bedside, put her hand on my head, and pray for me. And it bugged the crap out of me. It's like, ah, just <laughs> stop. Let me sleep. And it dawned on me much later in life that there were moments when she would pray fervently and then she would stop praying. And I would think that she was done. She wasn't. She'd just stay there, kneeling with her hand on my head. And I remember thinking to myself often during those moments, like, are you serious right now? (laughs) Like, you're not even saying anything. And, And what I came to realize years later was that for my mother, she understood the significance of what it means to be devoted in prayer, that devotion requires not just talking a lot, just saying the right thing. It requires waiting, patience, and attention, absolute attention to God and what he might be whispering in that moment. And, and here's what I learned about prayer from my mother. Because the reality is, even to this day, I usually pray really shallow, convenient prayers, you know? My prayers sound the same, right? You guys all have your go-to prayers, you know? Your, you know, God our fathers, and your thank you for this food, and right? But the reality is that shallow, convenient prayers work to atrophy our souls, and widen the chasm from our truest selves. You see, what my mother understood was that prayer wasn't just about what she could say to God. Prayer was an activity that would shape her. Prayer was a moment not just to talk to God. It was a dialogue, not a monologue, a dialogue to speak and to listen. And in that conversation, my mother understood that God would shape her and change her and transform her and make her more and more like the person that he always dreamt of her being. My mother is one of the most Christ-like people and I I know to this day. And I am certain that a huge part of the reason why is because to this day, she begins and ends her day with prayer. Not shallow, convenient prayers, but 45 minutes, an hour, an hour and a half on her knees. My mother had to go to the doctor to get her knee checked out, actually, because she knelt too much, is what the doctor said. Arthritis in her knee. I thought, man, 
if you're ever going to have a medical problem, that's a reason why, right? That's a great reason why. Soren Kierkegaard once said that the function of prayer is not to influence God, but rather to change the nature of the one who prays. Not to influence God, but to change the nature of the one who prays, because here is what happens. Whether God responds to, to our asking or not, the reality is if he makes us more like the people he always intended us being, we will begin seeing our situations and circumstances differently, no matter how bleak, how difficult those circumstances and situations might be. In the ancient Near East, the sea, the ocean, water, bodies of water, were symbolic of chaos and death. The Israelite people were actually, they were not a seafaring people. They didn't have ships and boats. They didn't have a navy. The Israelite people, God's chosen people, were a desert people. They traveled, they trekked through the desert. They were, they were land-bound and the sea represented chaos and fear, uncertainty, darkness, and death. There is a psalm, Psalm 93. And the psalmist writes this, Psalm 93. He says, The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. Indeed, the world is established firm and secure. God, your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. And here's where it gets awesome. The seas have lifted up, Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves, mightier than the thunder of the great waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea is the Lord on high, who is mighty. The psalmist proclaims that the uncertainty and the chaos of the sea, representative of the uncertainty and the chaos of our lives, can't hold a candle to the might of our God. There's a story in the Gospels where Jesus walks on water while his disciples are pissing their pants in a boat in the Sea of Galilee. And they're, they're fearful. They're, they're fearing for their own lives. And Jesus walks to them. This is the story where Peter says, if that's you, tell me to come to you. And Jesus says, it's me, come to me. Peter walks a little bit, which is amazing. And then he, he sees the chaos of the sea and he sinks. And Jesus pulls him up and is like, you have little faith. But we always forget what happens right after that. They get back in the boat. And what does the gospel story tell us? It tells us that Jesus quiets the waters. That Jesus quiets the chaos and the uncertainty, the darkness of the storm. And if you are here tonight feeling as though the waves of life are crashing up against you and you are not certain that you are going to be able to hold. If you are here facing the darkness and uncertainty, the anxiety 
in the chaos of the unknown before you. Know that Jesus does not desire to fix your problems from a distance. He wants to get into the boat. And then he will quiet the storms. And so here is what we are going to do tonight. In a moment, you'll see some prompts on the screen. And nobody else is going to get up here to tell you when to move on to the next mode of prayer. Tonight is just going to be some quiet music in the background, the darkness of this room, and some prompts on the screen. And the prompts will instruct us on what to pray for, how to pray. Listen, again, there is freedom in this room. You don't have to do anything. The prompts are just there as a guide, as a help to pray for certain things. The prompts will lead us through Colossians 1, uh, verses 13 to 20, as we pray through the book of Colossians together this month. And at any point, if you feel like you want to pray with someone, be prayed for by someone, and you're here with someone you trust, man, go ahead, find a corner and pray with one another. You don't have to pray exactly for what the screen tells you. It's just a screen, right? You can be like, you're just a screen. I don't have to do what you tell me to do. Do whatever you feel led to do. If you need prayer from someone, Tony, myself, some of our other leaders will just be hanging out, standing. I'll be standing back there somewhere. And if you need prayer, then come find one of us. We'd love to pray with you. If you need to be alone or have some space and not sit in these chairs, then in the back under the Christmas lights, there's a little rug and some pillows and you can sit or kneel or lay down or do whatever it is you need to do. If you need to pray under the waning light of the summer sky, then walk outside and enjoy that and visit with God there. Whatever you need to do, you are free to do. And in about 15, 20 minutes, the band will come back up and we'll sing our way out of here. Good? Everyone ready? None of you are ready, is what I just heard. (laughs) Is everybody ready? All right. Quiet your spirit. Listen well, listen well, and speak slowly.